You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. That, and I know I'm satisfied in the Lord. Um, he's far less satisfied with me than I, I am with him. I know that to be true. This morning is our ninth message in the book of 1 John, and our series is, is entitled Family Traits. And we've been going through this for a couple of months or more now. Family Traits, the reason I chose that is, is because that's what 1 John is about. When you, know, when you see a resemblance uh, between two people and their looks, uh, have you ever looked at his son and said, that's, that's their son? Or you, you hear someone talk and you can almost, uh, you can't hardly tell somebody apart. Uh, you know, when families sing together and, and they, they sound the same, family resemblances, family traits, their face, facial expressions. There are certain things about family. When you see them, you know their family. And that's what John is talking about. He's, he's, he's talking to the, the children, the family of God, and, and helping them to know how you know that somebody else is part of the family. He writes to his family, and very often he calls them his little children or my little children. And he gives them a series of tests by which to compare the family traits. He says, if you're part of the family, it will show up in these ways. If you're part of the family, it will look like this. And he talks about things like obedience. He talks about maturity. He talks about imitation of Christ. He talks about love for the brethren. He, he talks about love for the Father and, and not having love for the world he says, these are the things you look at to know if someone's part of the family or not. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that as we go through 1 John, these tests are not just for the readers. As you go through this letter, you start to realize that, that John intended for the family to apply these traits to other people. There were some that had come through the family and whatever churches that John is writing to, there were some that had come in and, and said, I'm part of the family but they didn't bear a resemblance. And so John is calling out the others that came through the family but didn't look like the family, and he's saying, apply these tests not just to yourselves, but apply them to those that claim to be one thing, but they do another. Apply it to those that, that say that they're, they're walking in truth, but their works are works of darkness. Apply these to those that say they're in the family, but they don't resemble or, or convey love for their brethren. Apply these things so that you can tell who's part of the family and who's not. And at this point, there were false teachers that used to be, they say that I was part of the family or that I am part of the family, and, and now they're out teaching something different. And, and, and John says, basically, if they were part of the family, they wouldn't be where they are now. So they were never part of the family. And he's making it very clear. He's being very direct. He's saying if they're out there lying about the doctrine of Christ, they, weren't never, they were never part of the family. And he deals very directly as he has a tendency to do. And as a matter of fact, our text today deals with those that once said they were part of the family, but are now out teaching heresy. They were trying to deceive the family. There were those that, that used to be right in the middle of it, and, and now they were out and they were teaching things opposed to what John and the others were teaching, and they were trying to convince the family that they're right and that, that the family should come back to them. And as I was thinking about 
um, the deception. And, and trying to understand John's point this week, um, I thought about insurance. Maybe it's because I was at camp and I noticed how many dangerous things boys do at camp. But I was thinking about insurance and I, my mind started thinking about, it seems like these days the, the funniest commercials or ads on television are from insurance companies. They're just good at, at kind of catching your attention. And one of the ones that I thought of, again, maybe because I was at camp and I was sleeping in the same room with some of your sons, I thought about an ad from Allstate Insurance. There's an ad in, and there's a character that they've introduced in Allstate Insurance, and his name is Mayhem. Again, I was at camp all week. Mayhem is a character. He's represented by a guy that walks around, and he's got a Band-Aid on his face, and his clothes are all torn and, and dirty, and he just kind of walks around, and, and he tries to mess up your life. And he, he'll, he, in one spot, in one ad, he's a distracted teenage driver, or he's any teenage driver. He calls himself in another one, I'm your blind spot. So when you're driving, mayhem is in your blind spot. He's trying to get you to change lanes without looking. In another one, he's a careless cleaning lady in your house and he's breaking all of your stuff and sucking your curtains up into a vacuum cleaner. The point each time, though, is that he causes accidents. That's what mayhem does. Whether you're in your car or you're at home, mayhem introduces destruction into people's lives. It's a humorous way to look at accidents. Mayhem follows you around and he's trying to mess everything up and, and it usually gets the job done and by the end of it, um, the, you know, there's a crumpled car and there's a broken down um, house and there's a tree falling over. And if that was the end of the ad, we'd all be in trouble because life can be full of mayhem, can't it? But then they introduce a name at the end of the commercial and it says Allstate Insurance. See, as much as mayhem wants to wreck our lives, Allstate Insurance is there to protect us from the destruction. And it's no fun to have a fender bender, or it's no fun to have a tree fall on your house, or to have someone steal from you. But if you have insurance, you should potentially end up paying only a fraction of what you owe, or what it would cost you if you had to replace that product on your own. And as many of you know, we experienced that recently and, uh, in our home in Stillwater. We were just a couple of days from closing and a hailstorm came through because it's Oklahoma. And it came through about three days before we were supposed to close and, and did damage to the roof of our home. And of course, the buyers were out the next morning saying, we want a new roof and, and we see a way for you to pay for it. So we call our insurance and I'm thinking, we don't, I mean, this is bad news. I, we, we, we need to close our house. We need to move forward and and uh, we call our insurance, and our insurance company says they'll send somebody out. A couple days later, they did, an adjuster goes out, and he looks at the damage, and he says, it's really not that bad, but if you want to guarantee that you close on your house, I suggest that you go ahead and rep replace the roof. In our minds, we're seeing dollar signs just floating out the window in the breeze. We just can't imagine what it's going to cost us, and, and so we start making phone calls, and I, I call a friend who has a friend, um, who has a friend, and he probably does his business out of a van with curtains. It's spray painted on the side, Bob's Roofing. But he called this friend of a friend, called me back and said, I'll do the job for a pretty good deal. And then you're wondering, how's this going to turn out? Maybe this guy's mayhem, I don't know. 
At the end of it, though, we had a new roof that looked great. It was inspected and was and passed. And it cost us about $170 less than our insurance paid us. So we made $170 off a brand new roof. Tell me how that happens, except that God just was helping us. But that happened to us. You know, I've never been more thankful for insurance than I am right now. And after you go through something like that and you file a claim and insurance does what they should do and they take care of you after all the years of investing in their company, I'm thankful for insurance. I don't like to think about all the money that that I have to give to it, but when it comes time for it, I'm thankful that they're there to help us. And you've probably been in that situation before too. I'm sure some insurance companies don't do right, but there are plenty that do and I'm grateful for it. But you know, I would have been a fool if that morning I had called my insurance and said, the roofer wants to do it for this many thousands of dollars And I told them, but I don't really want to pay you a deductible, so I'm going to take care of it all on my own. That would be a foolish thing to do. To have insurance, but not take advantage of it when you need it. But honestly, I believe that's what many in God's family do. You see, according to John here, in 1 John chapter 2, we have what I'm calling this morning, deception insurance. Meaning... There's insurance out there available to every member of the family that will keep us protected from deception. And the wise ones take advantage of it, but the foolish ones try to survive the mayhem on their own. And unfortunately, there's a lot of deception out there. The mayhem is everywhere, and sometimes it's hard to know what's true and what's not. Uh, Maybe you've heard of this, but recently there's this fad or a trend, a technological trend called deep fake. And, and people that are good at computers, they'll, they'll take an image and they'll superimpose another image on top of it. And it literally looks like somebody that you know, a celebrity or a politician, speaking and it has the same voice. It looks just like the person, but they're saying things that are contrary to what they even believe. It's called deep fake. And so now we're at a point where it's not just that you can maybe open a magazine or a, or a, a, a newspaper and read something there and wonder, I wonder if that's the case. Or even getting on the internet and wondering, I wonder if that's the case when it usually isn't. Well, now you watch a video. And on the video, you're not even sure if the person on the video is real or fake. That's the culture that we live in now, folks. Defake is a, is a sign of the deceptive times in which we live. Even members of God's family can find themselves falling for deception. And that's why the father has offered an insurance policy that protects the family from deception and mayhem. Deception insurance first has never been more necessary than it is right now. Now, John, when he writes this in verse 18, he says, little children, it is the last time. Well, what does he mean by the last time? Well, we know according to Hebrews 1, it says God that at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us, unto us by his son. Which, that means that the last days were initiated with Jesus Christ. When he came to earth for, for the first time and he was incarnated, it was a sign of the last times, it was a sign of the last days. Another sign we can read about in Acts chapter 2, when quoting the prophet Joel, it says, And it shall come to pass, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And that is another marker of the last days. And we know that the Holy Spirit was given in new measure there at the day of Pentecost. The Bible says that we are in the last times. 
that we are in the last days. And now, we're not told how long the last days will last. If we're to believe what the Bible says, that it, it was initiated with Jesus Christ, and there were markers along the way to show us there are last times, then we have to believe that the last days have been at least for 2,000 years. That Jesus Christ initiated the last days, and just about every major writer of the New Testament talks about being in the last days, being in the last times, being in the last hour. There's lots of biblical evidence to it. We're in the last days, and according to that, there's nothing preventing the next thing, and the next thing is the rapture of Jesus Christ to call his people away. We, we should be looking, by the way, we should be looking for that day and excited about that day, knowing that it could happen right now. It could happen right now. Jesus Christ could come back. There's nothing preventing our Savior from calling us out of the earth. It could happen any time. And then after the rapture, then we have a tribulation period of seven years. The Antichrist will rise. He'll deceive many. Then Jesus Christ will come back at the end of that and judge the earth and judge, uh, judge Satan and, and the Antichrist. And, and he'll set up his thousand-year reign. At the end of that thousand years, Satan will be loosed. And the final judgment will come, and then we'll, God will set up his final kingdom. Right now, though, there's nothing preventing Jesus Christ from stepping out on the clouds and calling us home, and then the next thing happening. We are in the last days right now. We've been in the last days, though, according to the timeline, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. We're just waiting. Well, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John says that there's another sign of the last times. There's another sign of the last days, and it is the rise of those who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, again, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, wherefore we know that it is the last time. Well, John uses and defines the word Antichrist, or the term Antichrist, and we've probably heard that term if you've been in church long at all. We've heard that term before. First John is the only book of the New Testament, only book of the Bible, in which that term is found. It's found right here in verse 18. It's found down in verse 22. It says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And then over in chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, it says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. So then he uses another one in, in 2 John. Basically, he conveys the same idea each time, though. We are to understand that an Antichrist is a deceiver who either denies the deity of Christ or denies that Jesus Christ actually even came in the flesh. John implies that there is one primary Antichrist that shall come here in verse 18, and we could turn to places like Daniel and 2 Thessalonians and read more about him. He's the primary Antichrist to come during the tribulation. But his spirit of deceit, and catch this, hang with me here. His spirit of deceit, his spirit of denying that Jesus Christ is deity already exists in many others. Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 24, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. So it's not just the Antichrist who's out to deceive people and convince them that Jesus Christ is not God. The Antichrists that John speaks of, they used to actually claim to be part of the family. He says they used to be with you, but now they're not. They used to be among you, but now they're out teaching something different. Verse 19, they went out from us. 
But they were not of us. If they'd been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. And he carries on from there. He says their true nature was manifest when they left. And now they're teaching that Jesus isn't even Christ. That he's not even deity. Look down in verse 21. It says, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of a truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So I think we can see that John is trying to convince them that the Antichrist have come along and they're trying to convince others that Jesus is not deity. And, and to this point, John has contrasted a few things. He's contrasted in chapter 1, light and darkness. If you remember, walking in light or walking in darkness. He contrasts in, at the beginning of chapter 2, love and hate. He contrasts in verses 15 through 17. We talked about it last week. Love for the Father and love for the world. And now he's contrasting love or truth and error. He's contrasting truth and lies. And what he's saying is we live in an age these last times where people are trying to convince us of things that are not true. And primarily, their primary objective is to convince us that Jesus is not deity. That Jesus is not the Christ. You know, we live in a time of great religious deception. Many have risen up either claiming to be Christ, the Messiah. I think about Charles Manson and his, and his leading of the cults there in Southern California, and he rose up, and many of them do. The cult leaders rise up and say, I'm the Savior, I'm the Messiah, follow me. They rise up, they claim to be Christ, or they even deny that Christ is who he is. And by doing that, they deceive many. And folks, let me just tell you this today, at the risk of offending, and I'm not trying to offend anyone this morning, I'm simply trying to give you what the Bible says today, but any group or denomination that teaches that Jesus Christ is not God, falls under the category of Antichrist. They are deceivers. It's deceptive. I read just this week, there's an NBA basketball player, and his name's Darren Collison. Darren Collison's a good point guard in the NBA. He's 31. He, he still has some years ahead of him. But he retired just this week. He retired from the NBA because he says he wants to focus on his faith. And his faith is Jehovah's Witness. And he is giving up basketball to be a, a, a witness for Jehovah, he says. And again, at the risk of being offensive, it's not my, my goal today, I was interested to find out what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. I know some of what they believe, but, but I got on and very clearly, um, I read this from their own statement of faith. It says, we have faith. That Jesus Christ came to earth from heaven and gave his perfect human life as a ransom sacrifice. However, we take Jesus at his word when he said the Father is greater than I am. Which is a statement of authority. And so we do not worship Jesus as we do not believe that he is almighty God. So to, to, not to call out anyone this morning, but if I'm reading the Bible in 1 John... And it says that the spirit of the Antichrist says that Jesus Christ is not God. And you are a member of a Jehovah's Witness congregation or you're thinking about going in that direction. I'm just very clearly telling you today they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. 
You cannot be saved if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. I read even further uh, another religion that's gaining much momentum in the mainstream. And again, not trying to be offensive, I'm just I'm interested to find out what others believe because this passage opened my eyes about the importance. I always knew the importance of Jesus Christ, uh, of His deity is important. Uh, but if you don't believe it, you don't have a foundation. And I read this week, the Mormon church, the Mormon religion, teaches that Jesus Christ was one of many spirit children, as we all are, uh, as Satan is as well. Spirit children, Satan chose to go one way, Jesus Christ chose to go the other way, and he was chosen to be the ransom for the world. So that religion teaches, um, they believe that Jesus Christ is a son of God, but that he is not God. They are separate and distinct, they teach. And if he is a spirit child, Folks, listen, if Jesus Christ is a spirit child, like you and I started out as, or Satan started out as, if he's a spirit child, then he's created. And if he's created, he cannot be God. We live in an age. Folks, we live in an age of deception. Your view of Jesus Christ is the single most important determiner in your salvation. Religions and cults that do not preach the deity of Christ are mass-producing, reproducing themselves in great numbers, but they are not producing saved converts. Again, I'm just going, taking you through the Bible and through what those movements will say about their own beliefs. Verse 23 says, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. It very clearly says, if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. A person cannot be saved if they don't believe that Christ is God or that Christ came in the flesh. Any group or denomination that teaches against the deity of Christ is a deceiver or antichrist. And verse 25 lets you know what's at stake. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Your promise of eternal life is contingent on your belief that Jesus Christ is God. And there's a lot of deception out there. And if me preaching this maybe somewhat uncomfortable passage this morning would help someone come to the saving knowledge of Christ and change their mind about who he really is, then it's worth my time this morning. And it's worth me standing up here and feeling a little bit of pressure to say something that I'm uncomfortable saying. But if it salvage, could salvage someone or salvage one of your loved ones who may be wrapped up in a movement that teaches against the deity of Christ... It's well worth it. Plus, it's the word of God. I've got to preach it. So what do we do? Well, thankfully, in this age of deception, John gives us hope. Because there's never been a greater time for deception insurance. But deception insurance is available to every member of the family. And John gives two examples of how God has enabled us to be protected. And this is the core of the message this morning that I really want you to pay attention to. We have two protections, two safeguards in our insurance against deception. And those two things are this, the Spirit of God and the Word of God. See, the Spirit of God, this morning, it's a term, uh, this, this term, maybe in the text we see some terms that point to the Holy Spirit. For instance, in verse 20, it says, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. It says in verse 27, but the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you. These words, unction and the word anointing, are the same exact Greek word, which is chrisma. So the definition of that Greek word is this. 
anything smeared on, ointment, usually prepared by the Hebrews from oil and aromatic herbs. Anointing was the inaugural ceremony for the priests. So this is the, this word, you have an unction of the Holy One, you have an anointing. It's a smearing on of ointment, like they would do for the priests. They would take this mixture, they would anoint the priests, and that happens, child of God, every person in here that's saved, the Holy Spirit is smeared on. It's applied like ointment when we get saved. We have the Holy Spirit with us. John is referring to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Acts 10 says that even Jesus Christ himself was anointed by the Holy Ghost. And that word anointed comes from the same Greek word, chrisma. John wrote about the Holy Spirit. He called him the comforter in John 14. John said part of the Holy Spirit's ministry would be to abide in us and teach us God's truth. And as his child, provide teaching and comfort. These are all terms and language that he uses to describe the unction and anointing here in 1 John. That's the Spirit of God. So in your deception insurance, your first protection is that you have this Holy, the Holy Spirit with you. Amen. And he abides with you and he lets you know when something's not right. He teaches you. You also, though, have the Word of God. Look at verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. What have they heard from the beginning? They've heard the Word of God. We just read last week or two weeks ago in verse 14, how the young men had overcome the wicked one by letting the word of God abide in them. So John has spent much of chapter 2 talking about the word. And let me explain how this works together. The word of God plays an extremely important role in the life of a believer. But it works in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. As a believer, we read God's word and the Holy Spirit illuminates God's word so we understand it as God intended for us to understand it. It's like we're reading and God, the Holy Spirit turns on the lights. The words are there. We may not understand it, but he turns the lights on for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I know I'm giving you a lot of information today, so please just stay with me here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So if we didn't have the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit with us, we would open our Bibles and scratch our heads. But because we have been anointed, we have an unction from the Holy, the Holy One, and it's, His anointing has been placed upon us, when we open God's Word, according to 1 Corinthians 2, we read it and it makes sense. We read it and, it and we understand it. If you've ever tried to explain truth from God's Word to someone who is not saved, they can't get it. They don't understand it. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're spiritually discerned. That's how the Holy Spirit and the, and the Word of God work together. The things we receive from God, His Word, become clear to us as the Holy Spirit teaches us. So here's the most important takeaway this morning. The Spirit of God works through the Word of God to protect us from deception. The Spirit of God works through the Word of God to protect us from deception we have a, a double-layer insurance plan. We have two sets of help here. 
Discerning truth, folks, don't overlook the work of the Holy Spirit. Discerning truth is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And every believer has it. Verse 20, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Verse 21, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 27, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So he's saying you, you don't need somebody to come along and teach you something new. Now, don't take this verse to mean that you don't need a teacher because we all need teachers. We all need people to, we need someone to open the word and teach us and feed us and help us to understand. But when he says you have no need that men should teach you, he's saying you don't have to listen to somebody that comes along and says, I got something new for you. I've got something that's new. You haven't heard this before. You should listen to this. It's good. And they come along with some new revelation or they come along with some new word from the Lord. And John is saying, you don't, have to, you don't have to listen to that. You don't have to listen to false teachers that come along and teach something different. We know we live in an age of religious novelty, don't we? We live in an age where there are itching ears everywhere. Everyone wants something new. I had this experience. Or I displayed this new gift. Or I've got this new word from the Lord. And folks, according to 1 John and and the New Testament, that's deception. We have a completed final revelation from God in His Word. So for someone to come along and teach you something different than what this Word tells you, not only is it wrong, but it is the basis of many of the modern cults and religions that are popping up everywhere. They come along and they say, I've got something new. I had a new word from the Lord. I want to teach you something different. And John very clearly says, and I as your pastor this morning say, ye need not that any man or any false teacher teach you. You've got everything you need in God's spirit and God's word to have deception insurance. You can discern truth for yourself. I can restate verses 20 and 27 like this. Since you have the Spirit of God in you, you know the truth. In verse 27, I could restate it like this. The Holy Spirit which had been given you abides in you. You don't need false teachers to come along claiming to have new information about Christ that goes beyond the truth that you've already heard. And what John, again, is saying is we have everything we need in God's Word and through God's Spirit to be protected against false doctrine. Every member of the family is covered by deception insurance. I praise the Lord for that. I love that my father knew that I might be susceptible to those that would seduce me. I'm thankful that he thought of the fact that I need some help in discerning all the deception out there. And he gave it to me. He thought of everything. God's word has been perfectly preserved for us to be able to test these false teachers against truth. All I have to do... Folks, all you have to do as a member of Eastside Baptist Church, not even as a member of Eastside Baptist Church, wherever you're from, if you have God's Word and someone comes along and teaches you something different than God's Word says, they are liars. All that you need is a knowledge of God's Word and you can compare it for yourself. Where the two deviate, God's Word's always right. That's easy. God's Spirit also has been given to us. He's our comforter. He's our teacher. If you're a member of the family, it's guaranteed. You've got it. You've been anointed. 
You know, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit to guide and teach and illuminate us, direct us as we navigate the mayhem of deception in this convoluted culture. It was easy. All I had to do was get saved, and God gave me the Holy Spirit. So, so far, both of these insurance writers, God's Spirit and God's Word, they weren't even anything I had to pay for. When I received Christ, He just gave them to me. The Father gave them to every child. It's easy. We can leave. Simple. I mean, I have God's Word. I have God's Spirit. I'm a member of the family. I'm covered. It's done. Well, you know there's a catch. Yes, these are available to you, but you have a responsibility. See, deception insurance is activated through personal choice. It's the coverage is available. The coverage is there. But there are three moods in the Greek language, and I'm not a Greek expert. I, I took Greek in, in college, I think. I don't remember. It's been a long time, and I was slept through most of it. But there are three moods in the Greek language. Indicative, subjunctive, and imperative. The, indi- the indicative mood represents or presents the action or event as something real, something certain. Subjunctive presents something that could be true. Imperative is a command or a request. And if we read this, this is originally which translated from Greek. If we read this in Greek, we would see that most of John's language is indicative. It's reality, it's true, it's objective. These are statements of fact. He says things like, it's the last time there are many antichrists. That's not dependent on me to do anything. It's just the truth. That's the fact. He says they claim to be part of us. Now they're not. The anointing of the Holy Spirit's been given to you to know what is true. You know the truth from lies. He says things like liars deny Christ's deity. He says things like you can't be saved if you don't believe in Christ's deity. He says something like God has promised us eternal life. He says things like don't let deceivers try to tell you something different. You know the truth by the Holy Spirit. He makes declaration after declaration after declaration of reality. He says here are the facts. But in the middle of this explanation of benefits. You know what an explanation of benefits is? If you have insurance, health insurance or home insurance or auto insurance, they give you this sheet or many sheets. It says explanation of benefits. And it says, here is your coverage. You have these things. Here's the reality. Here are the facts. Here's the objective truth of what your insurance does for you. Here's your explanation of benefits. All these things are true. But right in the middle of all of this indicative language, there's some fine print. It would be like reading through the explanation of benefits, and in one small part, it says, null and void if you don't pay your premium. But you're covered with this, and you're covered with this, null and void if you don't pay the premium. If you don't pay the premium, you don't have coverage. The insurance covers that, and here's the explanation, but if you don't pay the premium, you're out, you're out of luck. Well, very clearly in this text, there's a lot of explanation of benefits, but in the middle of it all, there is some fine print. There are two imperatives that I see, two requests, two requirements. The first is in verse 24 when it says, let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. The word. I have a responsibility to let the word abide in me. Verse 27, at the end of the verse, it says, um, And is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, 
ye shall abide in him. That's an imperative, actually. And it says, now, now, little children, abide in him. So not only do I have an imperative to let the word of God abide in me, but the other imperative in this, in this passage is that I am to abide in him. John's message is this. You decide if the word abides in you. You decide if you abide in the spirit. And if you do, you've got coverage. It all comes down to living according to God's word and walking according to God's spirit. And it seems so simple, doesn't it? To activate deception insurance, you don't have to go to something super Christian-y. To activate insurance for deception, you go to the basics. And what I want to tell you this morning is, you say, well, I don't have a seminary degree. I don't know what the Bible's talking about. I don't have a bunch of things memorized, and I don't know where to go. No, you simply have to let the Word of God dwell in you. You have to read it. You have to memorize it. You have to meditate on it. Most of us visit the Bible, but I'm not sure we let God's Word abide in us. Meaning, I go for a visit, but I don't live there. Does God's Word abide in you? Abide means to dwell. Does the Word of God have such an influence on your life that it takes up residence in your heart? Do you allow it to abide in you? How many verses do you have memorized? When a a situation arises, is the Bible on the tip of your tongue? Is it pouring out from your heart? Or are you like, I don't even know where to start to find the answer to this one? Letting the Word of God abide in us means it is there. It is ready. It abides. It dwells. When it comes to the Spirit of God, you don't need to be saved for 30 years in order to enjoy the Spirit. You don't have to have someone in a service strike you on the head and then now you've got more of the Spirit. No, when you were saved, you were anointed with the Holy Spirit, all that you'll ever need. And every day you decide how much the Spirit of God leads and and guides you. Let Him lead you. Let Him lead you according to God's Word. When's the last time that you made a decision or prepared for a moment at work or at school or in dealing with someone else that you very deliberately allow God's Spirit to take the lead? We live in an age of deception. God's Word and God's Spirit are deception insurance, but we have to activate the coverage. I have to allow the Word to abide in me. I have to take steps to follow and and dwell in the Holy Spirit of God. The emphasis is today, folks, This is personal choice. You don't have to be deceived, but you have a responsibility. Each member has responsibility to let the word abide and then abide in the spirit. What I want to focus on here, look at verse 20. Look at all the yous in these verses. Verse 20, it says, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Verse 21, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it and that no lie is of the truth. Look down in verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he hath promised uh, us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. You notice how many yous and yees are in that passage? And my takeaway from this today 
is that it is my responsibility to activate the insurance myself. So many Christians feed on the faith of others. They exist on the faith of someone else. They assume that three messages in this room are enough to keep them fed all week. And if we ate like that, we'd be hungry all week long. You have a responsibility. Ye have an unction from the Holy Ghost. You have the responsibility to abide in the Word. You have to develop a faith of your own. It needs to be yours. Yeah, you cannot allow the preaching of God's Word, as, as powerful as it might be, you cannot allow the preaching of God's Word to be your only diet through the week. You've got to know it for yourself. Many Christians have not developed their own faith. They wouldn't know what to say if a deceiver came challenging their doctrines. There's no ready answer. The Word doesn't abide. This is a personal relationship. It is personal responsibility. Your pastor or your Sunday school teacher, they can't carry this insurance for you. It's in your name. You decide. Teenagers, you can't stay on your parents' account forever. You can't stay covered by their policy forever. When you get into, go to public school and someone challenges your faith, young people, what are you going to say? When you go to college someday and you have an atheist professor standing up there denying the deity of Christ and speaking against religion, young people, what are you going to say? If you don't have a pastor there holding your hand or your parents aren't around anymore, are you going to have answers for yourself? And this is true for everyone. We need to stop leeching off the word that abides in someone else. We need to stop holding on to the coattails of some mentor or someone that, that follows the Spirit of God and we use them for our direction in our lives. No, it's time to kick off the training wheels and have our own faith. It abides in you. It's yours. You're covered. As long as you personally activate it. See, our culture feeds us lie after lie, and I think many Christians believe them, not just about the deity of Christ. See, verse 20 says, you have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. You realize that you can know truth in every situation, in every scenario. The Word and the Holy Spirit are insurance against any deception. So will you, are you going to fall for it then when someone comes along saying, church attendance isn't that important? Because that's the culture in which we live. And if you look at what most churches are doing these days, they've got, they, they tailor the service times to be convenient for the, the worshipers, and all they expect is one a week, one hour. And we'll do it on Saturdays, or we'll do it Sundays, or we'll do it whenever you want to do it. We'll do it in the mornings, we'll do it at night, as long as it's convenient for you. But one hour a week is good enough. You know, and if, I, I think I have a much stronger case out of Hebrews 10 to say that in this hour, this last hour, it says so much the more. I think I have a much stronger case to say that we need to meet in this building more times a week than we do, than you would have a case saying, well, we need to meet less. That's the day and age in which we live. And they say, you don't need to be a part of a church. You don't need, church isn't important for you. Attendance is not that big of a deal. It's deception. Are you going to fall for it? If you, don't have, if you have not activated your deception insurance, you may be one of those at-risk members. Are you going to fall for it when someone says, separation and holiness is not a big deal anymore? 
that your standards don't matter, that social drinking is probably acceptable now. And I don't, I'm, I'm trying to not trying to make anybody upset today. I'm simply trying to say, if we follow what the Bible says, and we know what the Bible says, and we have the Spirit of God, then we should be discerning these things for ourselves. I shouldn't have to, honestly, I shouldn't have to preach about any of this stuff if we have a church full of people that have activated deception insurance for themselves. I shouldn't have to preach against standards. I I shouldn't have to preach against um, social drinking. I shouldn't have to preach against church, you know, no, skipping church and not making it a part of your life. If you have the spirit of God and you read the word of God, you can know the truth for yourself. You say, well, are you going to fall for the deception that says people, you know, God, God doesn't care about your entertainment choices. God doesn't care about your music. You know, these are teenage problems usually, but no, these are real-life Christian problems too. The Word and the Holy Spirit aren't just suggestions to make things better. They must be present if we are to expect to be spared from the mayhem of, decept- of deception. We are at risk if being, of being deceived at any moment. Without the Word and the Spirit, you are a high-risk client. People without this insurance, they don't know. Here's what happens. People without deception insurance, when someone says something to them at church that makes them mad, their only response is, I'm angry, and I'm going to talk about it, and I'm going to tell this person about it. I'm going to go to the pastor. I'm going to make this a big deal. But if you have the Spirit of God, and you have the Word of God, you know how to deal with that situation already. You don't need someone to walk you through it, because if you're a mature Christian with God's Spirit and God's Word... Those kind of situations become no-brainers. The Word tells you what to do. You're directed by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to get offended. You don't have to get upset and angry. And you don't put the unity of a whole church at risk because you have deception insurance. But it happens in churches all the time. People that are leaning on someone else's faith and they're not utilizing God's Spirit. They're not utilizing God's Word. People without this insurance can't witness at work because they don't know the Bible well enough. They don't have the boldness that comes through the Spirit. People without this insurance wallow in some besetting sin because they don't rely on the power of God's Word or the direction of His Holy Spirit to help them to get out of it. Deception is always sneaking around. And you know, according to James 1, it's not even always from without. It can be from within. You can deceive yourself. So just in, th- in case you think, I'm not, a, I'm not a deception risk, well, you can lie to yourself. And without the two-layered insurance combination of God's Word and God's Spirit abiding or dwelling or having constant influence, we are destined for deception. So in closing here today, how much does the Word abide in you? How much of God's Word not do you carry how much of God's word do you carry inside that it dwells in you? Do you have ready answers? Do you consult this book for your decisions? Do you read it like it's a checklist or are you meditating? See, that's like waiving your insurance coverage. Saying, I'm good, I don't need it. No, you are a prime target for deception. How much do you rely on the Holy Spirit and give him permission to direct you daily in your responses to other people, the way that you parent. If you fail to utilize the Holy Spirit's direction, you waive your insurance. Listen, deception insurance will keep you from mayhem and destruction. 
but you must personally activate the coverage through the Word and the Spirit. No insurance company will force you to have insurance. You have to value what you want to protect enough that you take steps to see it activated. God doesn't force anyone to abide in the Spirit and let the Word abide in them. You have to value living an undeceived life enough that you sign the dotted line for yourself. Otherwise, be prepared for mayhem and destruction. I know many formerly strong Christians that are now no longer in church. I know many that live lives wrecked by addictions. I know many that have homes broken by divorce. They bought into some lie from the great deceiver, Satan, that, that life is better on their own. That they don't need insurance. That they don't need to allow the word of God or the spirit of God to, to lead them. And now, a hailstorm has come through. And because they didn't have insurance, their lives are a mess. Without the direction of God's spirit and God's word, you have no protection against deception. These folks weren't able to discern the truth from lies. They didn't see the mayhem coming. And as verse 26 says, they were seduced. See, folks, the spirit of God works through the word of God to protect us from deception. Don't you ever think that you're not the one of the ones at risk. How's the word of God abiding in you? And are you abiding or walking in the direction or under the direction of the Holy Spirit? Those are the two basics of our Christian lives. But I happen to believe they are probably the two most neglected. And therefore, we are at risk. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.